Welcome to the 411 Podcast. I am your hairdresser and host, Nicole. Everyone knows the salon as a little therapy session. Hairdressers know all your dirty secrets. What happens in the salon usually stays in the salon. Well, until now, that is. Each week, I will be joined by a different client who will co-host with me and we will spill all the juicy gloss. From relationships to self-love, we are going to teach you how to treat you right. So get cosy, grab a cuppa or a Cosmo and cheeseburger and learn to love yourself. Hello and welcome back to the 411 podcast. I am here with my client Beth. Hiya. And this week we are going to be discussing mental health as as Mental Health Awareness Month. So we are going to discuss Beth's story and her struggle with mental health and how she's coping now and the things that helped her through. So without further ado, (laughs) Beth. When did your mental health struggle start? Um, I always had really kind of, I've always had very low self-esteem. Um, I've always, I think due to my height and um, I've always felt slightly different, you know, to everyone in my class and stuff. So I always definitely had like, I, I just never felt. Like you fit in. Yeah, pretty much. From, and that's from primary school. Um. Because I was, it's weird when you're taller than all the boys and stuff in your class. It's, it's a bit of a, um, kind of picks you out from everyone else. Um, I, so that was kind of my starting point where I'd started off with just not feeling worthy already. Mm-hmm. Um, not fitting into society's standards. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, my sister was all my little sister was always kind of seen as kind of not not the golden child but so much so like I always thought that she maybe was seen as prettier or um just skinnier or you know it just and that's from my family mm-hmm. taking like making little comments and stuff you know oh, Sophie could be a model Sophie could be a model and I'm Standing there, like... I'm the height of a model, hello. I'm like, oh, great, well, what am I then? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so that was always kind of a big issue. I mean, my, my self-esteem now is still not, like... It's, it'll never be amazing, but that's definitely the starting point. Mm-hmm. My parents divorced when I was seven years old. So it took, I had to mature like that mm-hmm. like instantly because I still had my little sister and she was four maybe so it was a really kind of big deal to make sure that she was all right mm-hmm. that's such a big sisterly thing because mm-hmm. I was the same my parents separated when I was nine I didn't really understand it I kind of blamed yeah. my mum for my dad leaving which is just super sad and obviously I understand it now being as old as I am, that that was not the case. Mm. Um, and mum couldn't be blamed for that. No. That's my dad's issue, not my mum's. But my sister, she always felt like 
she had to protect me because I was younger. I was mm. three years younger than her. Yeah. That's the same as that's the same age gap as me and my sister. So yeah. but the difference with like mine and yours is that you felt like you had somebody to blame. Mm-hmm. Whereas I my dad was so absent in that relationship that it honestly felt no different right. to what it was already like. So what do you mean by that Beth was <clears throat> absent if they were so, together? So it my dad chose to work shifts but chose to work shifts that, you know, kept him out of the house when we were there. Mm. So um, he would work back shift and night shift. So whenever we were going to bed, he was he was um, just coming in from work. Like it was, it was never there. Mm-hmm. And, and whenever we were home and he was in, he was sleeping, getting ready for night shift. Mm-hmm. Um, my mum felt like she was... A, like a one person in a marriage like yeah. she felt like a single parent yeah she felt like a single parent even before you know they were they, they had divorced um so it was it wasn't a peculiar feeling to like not have him in the house because he was never there anyway I genuinely I, me and my sister were talking about this but we there's no kind of positive memories like, of my dad before the divorce. Like, I've got no kind of, oh, that was a great time or that was an amazing amazing time or something like that because I just don't have any. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like having an absent father affected your mental health? Do you feel like it affected you as a person? It's like, it, it's, it's a known childhood <clears throat> trauma to have daddy issues, mm-hmm. you know, like, and feel abandoned and rejected and unloved and not worthy. Mm-hmm. And I can't say I, I don't relate to that either because my dad was encouraging and I definitely had good memories, but like that, my dad was quite absent mm-hmm. um, at times as well. And I feel like that affected me and it certainly affected me growing up I feel as if there's maybe daddy issues there where you just didn't feel loved and you felt rejected and abandoned and I think I've definitely got those kind of issues and I sadly it's kind of I don't know if it's me that's caused it or it's like but everyone in my life seems to just leave at some point and that's really difficult to deal with mentally. I I feel like it's Definitely the male side of like male relationships in general for me just um I just don't just don't think they work out very well um so I can understand what you're saying that's that feeling of like was it my fault was it like my issue like because I know that there's I know that thing is it's a weird feeling like I know that it is not my fault but at the same time I can't get it out of my head whether mm-hmm. it's like that intrusive thought is just like oh it is the devil and the angel oh, on your shoulders 100% because I know that it's not because my mum adores me she I honestly she's an absolute godsend and I couldn't I honestly could not because she never abandoned me she loved me endlessly and why why is that different for, for one parent 
and the not next. the other. Uh-huh. So I don't make up, I'm not making up excuses for, for that, um, for myself to make myself feel worse because yeah. I know that it's not the case. Um, but it definitely is a big thing for me because there was definitely there was definitely a, a difference in treatment between me and my sister mm-hmm. my dad I don't know whether it was because when I was born my dad had genuinely like was suffering from some sort of mental health issue where it was hard for him to bond with me and really accept a relationship with me when I was born and do you know what I don't blame him from that because it's not like it was a psychological issue like it wasn't you know something that he could help but obviously that had kind of disintegrated and disappeared once my sister was born mm. so he had this amazing relationship with my sister you know baby her like daddy's princess like and it was seen like people saw that and could see that there was I was being treated differently than my sister mm-hmm. and that that's quite hard to take on like as a kid when you see like your dad comes in to say goodnight to you and it's a a wee hand in the, the back and a pat and he goes right goodnight Beth mm-hmm. and then he goes into my sister and it's hugs and kisses and all night Sophie night darling like and you're like what the fuck is wrong with me like why mm-hmm. am I like being treated like this yeah because as a kid like you're a wee sponge and you absorb everything and you you take notice of these things and I I actually think for me I'm the youngest out of me and my sister and I actually think that I was quite the daddy's girl as much as I was a mummy's girl Mm. as well I think I was quite the daddy's girl and so I feel like for me, I was probably the Sophie in, in your situation yeah. <laughs> where I did things with my dad. And I actually remember my dad saying that he didn't want a boy. He was so glad when it was another girl. But my dad was really into football. And I feel as if, in a way, I like really got into football to please my dad. Mm-hmm. like Because I really wanted him to love me. Yeah, And now that... Um, I'm older and my dad's not in my life and I, I don't, I, I, I can't stand football. I, I really hate <laughs> football. And everybody will be like, oh, you're Rangers not. And I'm like, I'm really not. I no. support my legs and they support me. Yeah. That's it. Like, <laughs> I felt like I totally got into it and supported it for my dad. And I definitely think that it was to do with that. It mm-hmm. was to do with um, wanting to be loved, wanting to have something in common. Definitely. Uh, uh, definitely. The thing with my dad is he's a foot as a football nut, to be fair, but <laughs> I mean, because I never had that sort of relationship, I felt like no matter what I did, it would never please him. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, I've I've always just kind of been there for my mum and that's kinda it because at the end of the day she was the one that was there for me mm-hmm. constantly. I mean, I've never, although I've never, um, there's never been a point where I've not, I've cut ties with him, Mm -hmm. um, because my mum lost her dad when she was 11, and she's always said, she's like, you can um, block a bridge, but you can't, you can't unbreak it, Mm -hmm. so I never broke up a relationship with him, because I thought 
I'm going to regret, if I regret this at some point in my life, I, I don't know how I would live with myself if mm-hmm. I did. And I always sympathise with my mum, you know, not having that relationship either mm-hmm. with her dad. But at the end of the day, her dad treated her amazingly. And although he was only there for a short amount of time, like, mm-hmm. she felt loved and appreciated. So... <sighs> I think that's actually a really good point that you just made there because I remember my in-law my my mother-in-law saying to me like over the years like I just don't understand why you couldn't speak to your dad like Mm -hmm. there's you you should really pick up the phone and she lost her mum when she was nine nine or ten and then it took eight seven years um it took until last year until my mum passed away for her to see exactly why I don't speak to my dad mm-hmm. uh, but like your mum my mum I've got incredible respect for my mum my mum had a lot that she could have said about yeah. my dad because it, it wasn't very nice to regate didn't give her a very good life um but my mum always let us she always let him have contact and things mm-hmm. and I think she always knew that she would rather we made up our minds when we could when we were adults and yeah I'd went back and forward with my dad for years and unfortunately he let us down a lot and he just, it didn't help. But I do understand that my dad didn't have the best life growing up and he's got a lot of issues that he never dealt with. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately that impacted him as an adult and a parent and a husband. And I just feel as if I don't know if I could come back for all that yeah. because I feel like you can only give somebody so many, so many chances. chances. And my mum did an incredible job. Not, it would have been so easy for her to do what a lot of women do and just, oh, you're not seeing your kids. Mm-hmm. You've had affairs, like you're an alcoholic, you're this, you're that, you know, you treated mm-hmm. me bad, like, and not want them around. No. But she never done that. And I think that that was... My dad walking out of my life definitely impacted my life to a high degree. But I think that my choice that I've made, I, how do I put this? I feel like I'm protecting myself for more trauma and more upset and more pain. More, more, more like mental, because I just felt like it was quite, it was mentally traumatic. Mm -hmm. It was mentally and emotionally really traumatic. Yeah. I feel like our stories are really similar. Yeah. <laughs> With our dads, like my mum never wavered in what she wanted for us. She always um was very open with my dad coming and seeing us. Mm. Um and very like um sub- I don't want to say sympathetic's the right word, but like she was very open to to him being still in our lives. Civil. Uh-huh. Maybe yeah. oh, incredibly the civil. But she suffered like, that's the thing, like, she was married, they got married in 95, and they split up in 2007, so it wasn't 12 years of her, you know, kind of being alone in a marriage by herself, mm-hmm. um, and that's the thing, like, I, I've never asked her about before we were born, because I know for myself, if I asked that, and it was, yes, we had an amazing relationship before kids came, I know that I would take that to heart and yep. really, you know, like I, I couldn't, I'd just be really upset at myself being mm-hmm. like, well, it's, my, it's definitely my fault now. Yeah. But, and I know that it's not, like I, people have got their own 
demons and stuff and unfortunately I just don't think that he um was mentally ready to have a child yet and then to have that that um those issues to then have a child and added on top of that sleepless nights on top of that working your arse off Mm -hmm. I just think that is just an absolute like concoction for disaster and I Mm -hmm. think that's probably what has happened was what age were your mum and dad when they had you? Were they young? Like you say that you don't think he was ready. Is there an age you do think he would have been ready? Um, I mean, my they, my dad was thirty two and my mum was thirty. So, right, mean, so nowadays that would be classed as old. Actually, back then that would be classed as older to have kids mm-hmm. because most people have kids in yeah, their twenties. But uh, I don't know. Do you know that way? Like. And I think that's a societal problem mm-hmm. as well because there's this rush to have everything done and everything in place by the mm-hmm. time you're 30. Yeah. I know I, I turned 31 um, just a f- the other month there and I think that my life was certainly on the road to that. Like I got engaged in my 20s, I got married in my 20s. We were, mm-hmm. we, we were wanting a child, you know. I would have absolutely been society's... Cookie um, cut, yes, like, uh-huh. like white picket fence yeah. type thing, and um, but now I think that society plays a big part, mm-hmm. and it's like you say about your appearance and things and how that impacted you. It's a societal thing, and I think that it's important to have these conversations and help people see things, see the grey area, see things for a different perspective mm-hmm. because. I think that we're also people are very judgmental and they're very ignorant. Mm-hmm. I would say is totally. the word that's like because there's a lot of people that are in relationships and they've had kids in their twenties and they they're they're sitting there and they're probably listening to this now thinking, well, I did all that and that's what society told me would make me happy mm-hmm. if I was married and had the kids and. Like, I was married by the time I was 30 and I had a three-bedroom bought house and I'm miserable, like, because I'm not fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And mentally, that's doing something to me. Mm-hmm. And how do I get out of this? Because I've made decisions in my 20s that don't necessarily fit my 30s. And mm-hmm. I think that's why there's a lot of divorce as well, which <clears> is very mentally... It's mental torture. It's yeah. it's absolutely horrible. It's not like a quick thing either. Do you know no. that way? It goes on for years mm-hmm. and years and years. It's weird because I, I, um, that post came through the door the other day and it was addressed to Mr P and Mrs A Johnston, mm-hmm. which is my mum and my dad. And I thought, but why are they still getting Mail. post? I couldn't... It was just a weird thing to see mm-hmm. because... It sounds really weird when I, when I say this, people are like, what? I say it in a joking way when I, I would advertise for divorce because my parents, I just don't think, were the right fit from uh-huh. the start. But that's what I'm meaning about the society mm-hmm. thing. I think that a lot of people settle because they think that love is enough, but love yeah. isn't enough. Love is a, a feeling, it's an emotion. Mm-hmm. Love is temporary. Love is actually getting up and choosing to, to love somebody every mm-hmm. day. It's not actually feeling love every day. It's choosing to be like, I might not like you today, but I love you mm-hmm. and we're going to work through this. And it's 
it's a, it's a bit of, it's a struggle. It's, it's just total it's a constant take. upstream, like where it's like you've got to both keep rowing at the same pace to get up yeah. that stream. And I think that a lot of people just totally take that for granted, or they take it for, oh well, I love them so, but are they necessarily the right fit for you? Because it's very important who you are mm -hmm. with in a relationship. It's very important with who you marry. At the end of the day, you have to think about everything that comes with it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that people have enough of those conversations. Yeah. In fact, I don't know if people are really having those conversations where they're actually sitting down and they're thinking beyond, oh, we're in love. We've only known each other for a year or whatever let's have a kid that will be cute and we could dress it and match an outfit so I really don't think people think by no. that I think that they really <clears throat> when when you and if you are sitting there and you're about to propose to somebody or you're engaged to somebody or you are married to somebody and you're maybe thinking about starting a family you really have to think about the mental impact that that's going to have on you and your children because everything about that person that you're with you have to really look at that person and say see if I had a child and they were Would you I want them to have they were exactly like mm -hmm. you because how many people do you know that are resentful of their children because they're like the dad oh, yeah. or because they're like oh you're just like your mum or you're just like your dad and they're resentful of that well if you don't love that person's soul wholeheartedly forget about the physical if you don't love that person's soul and their values and who they are and what mm -hmm. they're about then you shouldn't be going anywhere near them you know you shouldn't be thinking having a conversation mm -hmm. about getting into a long-term relationship or having kids you have to look at what's the person's lifestyle like because that's that's the role model for your child and you could have the healthiest happiest lifestyle you want but they're going to say you're going to say eat your greens, but dad doesn't eat these greens. You're going to say, right, let's get up and get outside, but mm. dad just sits on the couch and plays the computer. You're going to say, right, we're going to, you have to stick in at school and get all your grades and um, so that you can go to university yeah. and make something of your life or whatever. Oh, but dad didn't go to university and dad's making, a, say, a couple of grand a month and they think that that's okay. You've mm. really got to look at the whole picture. Mm -hmm. And what's dad's mental health like? Like you say, uh -huh. is dad portraying a good, is he a good role model for mental health? Does he do positive things? Does he work on himself? Does he work, does he look within himself? Mm -hmm. Does he take responsibility? And honestly, the people listening to this are probably sitting going, I never even thought of that before. No. But see me and the things that I went through growing up, up until now, up until this moment, I think that there's a famous saying, and I say it in every podcast, so you will <laughs> here it comes, but heal yourself before you have children so that they don't need to heal for having you as mm -hmm. a parent. And I said that to my husband all the time, and it would be, he would be like, you are the most amazing, incredible person I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. Like, he wanted to impregnate me for the minute that he met me. <laughs> he really did. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember my wedding speech and I was laughing and I was saying to the family, like, you know, he would be the type that put the hole in the condom and all that. Because <laughs> like, he really would and um, really, really wanted kids. And I'm just so 
and a healing my trauma before I become a mother because yeah. I don't want to inflict that on a pe- on a person. We've really got to look at the fact that these are human beings. These are not accessories. No. These are your job as a parent is to raise your child the best mentally and physically as you possibly can so that when they fly the nest and you're not here anymore they've got all the tools in the world to survive and that's what I'm going through right now and upon reflection of what my mum did I feel like my mum did the most incredible job and people are mad at me because of how mentally strong I am they Mm -hmm. don't understand my resilience and it's annoying for them. And this is my own family. This isn't people that that are, this isn't my friends. This is my own family. This is my husband. You know, like he just couldn't understand it. He couldn't cope with the fact that I was coping, which is obviously, this is a mental health mm-hmm. podcast and we will talk Cause, about cause how, how I became mm-hmm. so mentally strong, you know. But that resilience, that toughness, the, those tools that my mum mm-hmm. left me with, it's, most people don't have that and nowadays mental health is a massive struggle because of social media and and all of that but I know that you had like a big thing that happened in your life that you've had to deal with mentally and I don't know if you want to like talk about that um so I had literally just finished school so I was 17 I was turning 18 in September and me and some friends were had decided to go on a girl's holiday um, to Tenerife. Um, so this was in the August. So we arrived, it was literally the first night we'd arrived. Um, and do you know what I was so excited. Like this was the first, it was like first for everything. Like I had been on, been on a plane by myself for the first time. Like that was like a big thing for me. I don't know why. Like I was just so proud of myself. No, it's a big thing. I remember my first girls' holiday, eighteen. Like I was with my sister and things, and I was like, "Oh yes, like I'm on a plane by myself." Yeah. Like, I, like I'm growing up. I get to keep my own passport this time. Like I've got my own folder. Like that was like a big thing for me. Like um, just getting there and like proving to my mum that I could like. Be responsible myself mm-hmm. um but my mum had never like my mum had never liked the friends that I was going with my mum was always a very good judge of character always listen to your mum oh definitely she knew from like she really did not like them at all I'm quite a forgiving person where there was things you know that happened in school that my mum was like nope cut off not happening and I was like oh but they've, they've apologised my mum was like I don't give a shit Beth like, I really really don't like them mm-hmm. and I probably should have listened to her from the start mm-hmm. so we ended up going to Tenerife first night there and it was dead dead late like um, it's probably like I don't think we arrived at the hotel until about 10 o'clock at night and we're knackered ended up having maybe like one drink in the in the flat before we went out and um I really wasn't because I was knackered did not drink a lot maybe had two drinks at one bar and then we went to like a club if you've been to Tenerife it's just like one massive strip where it's like they're literally right beside each other so um went into the club and um just I had another drink so I really wasn't drinking like loads 
like it takes a lot for me to get like absolutely gone like mm-hmm. and I know when I am because I'm normally like ill mm-hmm. but I wasn't I was could walk talk was absolutely fine um maybe a wee bit tipsy but not like to the point where I was like unconscious or anything mm-hmm. um got into the club and um maybe had like another drink and dancing just doing like the normal thing like that you would do like on a holiday like um and this guy came up behind me do you know what do you know that way I feel like I maybe looked at him and it's weird to say oh you look at them and they think that like that is you like fancying them like do you know that way like you might look at them and they come over and they want to dance with you and that was fine and um I then I think we like kissed in the club and stuff and he was like oh do you want to come back and I was like do you know what fuck it like fine yeah go for it and um we started walking so walked out the club I feel like I waved to my friends and went oh I'm going like um ended up walking out of the club and then just started walking towards his hotel um no idea where we were going like no idea where we were going and we were walking in almost like the direction to my hotel which was weird um got to like the shops right beside mine and he was like oh i'm staying there so we were ending up like in the exact same hotel which was weird and uh went back to his room which was ours was right on the corner and his was like three doors down from mine. Right. Um which was kinda weird, but like I just thought, okay, that's fine. Went into his room, never had a drink, never had a drink with him at all. Um put my stuff down and we ended up having like consensual sex, which mm-hmm. was fine. Like I kinda expected that to happen. Uh-huh. It's I kinda expected it to happen. It's um, human nature. You're attracted to somebody <laughs> as long as it's consensual. You're all Definitely. Definitely. And I didn't say it there, but um, when we were walking up, I, I do remember asking him like questions and stuff. And I remember asking him like, essentially, his name, <laughs> um, but and like what he did and where he was from. And I remember him saying his name was Leo. Couldn't remember what age he was. Um, but he was like a labourer or something. I remember it was something like he was either like a bricklayer or a labourer or something like that. And he was from Leeds. That's like the only bit of information that I have of him. Like, see if there was a lineup of people, I probably could have picked out like what he looked like. But I honestly cannot picture his face. So after we finished having sex, and immediately after. I felt like I was going to be sick everywhere. Like, just a total wave of, like, nausea just just hit me. Ended up getting up and just running to the toilet. So I'm on my knees over the toilet being sick and I could feel myself just losing consciousness. Like, just... It's such a weird feeling, like... um, like losing consciousness but being totally coherent like could hear could still see but I could physically not move an inch of my body Mm -hmm. um so I'm sitting there like 
just leaning over this toilet being sick and you know I just could not even like move an inch at that point what did you think did you think if I had too much to drink mm-hmm. have is the drink stronger abroad mm-hmm. some people say that or did you think I've been spiked or oh, no like what was your thoughts sounds really silly but I never knew I don't even think I knew what like, spiking was mm-hmm. like I had never heard of it or even thought about it um so I thought maybe I just didn't have like a thought at that moment I just knew it was extremely strange I probably probably thought of I'm I'm probably had too much to drink um but he was standing he he was outside my outside of the toilet and I remember hearing the door go like his main door and I was like, oh, I remember thinking, fuck's sake, like, all oh, his pals are coming in and I'm, like, over this toilet being sick. Like, how embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that that was where I was, like, em- embarrassed. Yeah. Um. So, I remember they came in and I was like, please, I remember saying, like, don't let them in, don't let them in. Mm-hmm. And then I remember... Um, Somebody trying to come into the room, trying to come into the bathroom, and me like mustering all my might to like lift up a hand and try and close this door. I had no strength in it whatsoever, so it's going to do absolutely nothing. But and I, I was just trying to like push it shut, and it just wasn't going. Um, so I think this is where it gets um, not foggy for me, but um, where I hold a lot of like oh like not guilt around it but just kind of um confusion around the situation because I just wasn't um 100% sure how many people were there I definitely know it was two I know it was two for for sure but I've had like weird thing with like regressive memories like I've had like three people pop into my mind before mm-hmm. um so and suddenly I'm like, can all these guys are in? And I remember knowing that they were different because the guy that I'd went with was dead tall, had um, kind of straight hair. And then suddenly I'm looking and there's a guy completely bald. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I remember there was a guy with curly hair as well. That's the thing. Like, that's why I'm like, such a confusion like around everything but I know for certain that horrible stuff happened so I'm still leaning over this toilet and all these guys are just standing like around me as I'm like leaning like practically I was like completely floppy over Mm. this toilet and I just feel were you dressed Beth? so I had quickly like pulled up my trout the thing was I was wearing like a like a spaghetti strap crop top and matching trousers that were long like mm-hmm. wasn't I know it's never an excuse but it's not like I was dressed provo- provocatively um that wasn't why I asked what no, I was no, just no, thinking no, was no. obviously because you'd had consensual sex mm-hmm. had you got dressed mm-hmm. had you just got up and went to the loo that was all so I was thinking fact- because these people were mm-hmm. in the same room as you so when we were having sex, my trousers were down, mm-hmm. but they weren't off completely. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of like 
at your ankles. I kind of are. Uh, so although I'd got, I'd just got up and went woof straight back up again and ran in. So they were back up, um, and I just felt like my trousers being like taken off from behind. Mm. And I thought, oh my god, like, do you know what I mean? I didn't even. So it sounds really silly, but I didn't even because I couldn't say anything. I couldn't be like, oh, please don't, like, please don't touch me, don't, like, I'm, like, being, like, it was the fact that I was still being sick, and they were, like, trying to have sex with me, mm-hmm. like, that's what, because, I, I don't know if it's just me, but, like, sick, it's, it's just, not, it's not very it's sexy, is it? No, it's not I, know, I thought, I thought, my God, like, I'm being sick here, and you're trying to, like, I never for I never ever like in that moment in time was like screaming in my head oh like you're about to get raped mm-hmm. never was the case um, so I ended up taking my trousers down and basically one of them basically ended up having sex with me from behind while I'm leaning over this toilet and then in front of me I lifted my head like slightly because that is basically all I could manage mm-hmm. and that one of the other ones basically had his had his dick out and uh-huh. was trying to shove it into my mouth. Oh my goodness. So I was basically getting like, I was basically just totally immobilised by everything. Like I couldn't move anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly don't know how long that went on for. Like, And where was the guy that you'd had consensual sex with? He was out in the room. And was he, do you think he was aware of what was going on in the toilet? I definitely do. Um, a big thing, but like, so when I had spoke, because I'd went to therapy regarding it, um, I had she, my therapist had mentioned that it never, it doesn't sound like it's a oh, like a first time, like they're just doing it. That sounds like a planned and organised like uh-huh. th- thing. That's um, my thought. Because after all of this is done, I, I mean, I. Even after that, what had ended up happening was that I had then had all my clothes taken off of me. So I was completely naked. They had then taken all of my clothes and put it into the shower and soaked them completely. So my clothes were soaking wet. That they de- I, I just feel like, yeah, mm-hmm. they definitely knew what they were doing. They then Trying to destroy me evidence, uh, if you they like. They then picked me up and put me into the shower as well. Mm. And while I'm, st- while I'm like lying on the floor in a shower... One of them is still trying to put his his, his dick in my mouth, uh-huh. like uh, still trying to like rape me. So uh-huh. I was still being raped while they're trying to like take away, or, like basically destroy all evidence that I was ever there completely. Mm-hmm. Um, this makes it a really silly thing, and I think about it all the time. Um, I remember they had. I remember I must have said something about my eyelashes. I think I'd bought like really fake <laughs> eyelashes and then I remember them taking them off mm-hmm. and putting them on the counter for me. Because see at that time like I couldn't do anything and I was still like not in that mindset of like being raped. Mm-hmm. Like it's a weird, weird thing. Like, I was totally just like, what the fuck is going on? But at the same time, I was, it wasn't like I was going, oh, well, you're being raped right now, Beth. Like, mm-hmm. do something about it. It just wasn't in my mind at that moment. 
um you just knew it was wrong and you didn't uh, want it uh-huh like because i was totally embarrassed mm-hmm. like i was still more concerned about like what they thought of me see that's like the self-conscious thing like everything like i was i was still like what like what oh my god like what must they think of me like all his pals are out in that room and i'm in here like having to put in a shower like how embarrassed i've been sick everywhere like mm-hmm. um so once that had finished happening they basically were like get the fuck out like actually just go back to your room and by that point could you walk barely so i was literally like they had so i had a big pile of like sodden wet clothes i had then um got my they'd given me my bag because i'd left all my bag and everything out there Mm -hmm. and that's another reason why it sounds like a planned event because nothing was taken i had taken a lot of money um i had taken a lot of money out with me because my first night and i'd never been out before None of it had been taken. Um, I had my like my, um, like my EU health card and stuff. Like they were still like around, and that wasn't taken. My phone wasn't taken. I was just like, what the fuck? Like, and that was a weird thing for me. Like, yeah, they had a goal in taken. mind, and that's what that's what's so like calculated for me. They had an they had like an agenda, and they didn't take a single thing. Mm-hmm. that's a weird and that's what draws me back to my belief because I had a long I had a really hard time you know going oh you Beth you were definitely raped like I, I would try and make excuses and think oh well, maybe I you know I did just have too much it was a really hard thing for me to conceive that you know I had been so um I it just took a long time for me to understand that I had been. But that was that it's was one a of lot, the things. It, it's a lot to process. Mm-hmm. And I think that you've got to give yourself some grace for that, Definitely. Beth. Because at the end of the day, you went out on holiday with your girls. You're excited. You went to a club, had a few drinks, as you do. You've went back to have consensual sex with somebody. Yeah. And then, essentially, you, it sounds as though you, you maybe have been drugged. And that's... Mm-hmm. It, they have done it before and maybe they know the time frame and it's like right I'll take it up the road be back for whatever time mm-hmm. and then you can have a go that and then putting you in the shower and your clothes and just and then just disposing of you like a packet of crisps Aye. like right away you go that's what what happened so after that you went back to your room mm-hmm. and then was your friends back what happened no so I had See, because we were so close, like the rooms were so close, I had crawled, so I was completely naked and I had a towel around me with all my clothes in my bag. So they had, um, I'd basically kind of crawled, I remember crawling to my room, trying the door and thinking, oh my god, like I've not got a car, I've not got a key for this. Mm-hmm. So I ended up literally just like sl- slumping down on the door. I remember lifting my hand like up above my shoulder and putting it on the door handle and just pulling it. Uh, I honestly, I don't know how, like, because my mum always keeps telling me, she's like, oh, it was your guardian angel, like, it was your guardian angel. And the door opened mm-hmm. and I was able to get in. Mm-hmm. And mum always tells me that, 
that was somebody protecting you from even more humiliation that you'd already been through. Yeah. And I literally, because I got in, got into um, the room, threw my clothes into the, the, the bathroom and just slumped on the bed. Mm-hmm. And um, the girls came in and were absolutely raging. They were like, what the fuck has happened? Why didn't you tell us where you were going? And you know that way, I, I just... I, I completely ignored them. Mm-hmm. Completely ignored them. Um, so did you ever have a chat with them about what had happened while you were on the holiday? <clears throat> How long were you on the holiday for? Did you stay in the holiday? Mm-hmm. So it was 10, so it was 10, 10 days. And um, this is why, a big reason for me, why I'm not friends with them anymore. But I've never, like... Um, just some of the stuff that they were saying surrounding what had happened and what they were telling people. Just not being supportive, oh, being 100%. judgmental. Uh-huh. But making it into a joke almost. So. so right, so sorry. When when did you tell your friends and what was their reaction to it? Oh I definitely told them I didn't tell them that night, I definitely told them the next morning. Mm-hmm. Um and their reaction was? It just wasn't. It was almost like they thought I maybe was kidding. Right. So then it became like a joke where it was like, oh, Beth's been gang raped. I'm really sorry, right? But I do not know how anybody could possibly... That boils my blood. I don't know how anybody could possibly make a joke about Mm -hmm. a girl being gang raped. I mean, to be raped as a girl is your Uh worst nightmare for a start. Never mind having multiple people rape oh, you yeah. at the same time yeah and be in a different country and your friends are not there and there's nobody around you to help you that's horrific mm-hmm. I mean I I knew after that event like I wanted my mum like instantly mm-hmm. like I knew I, I was like I just want my mum here like and I've always kind of been like that um so it was very just the holiday was an absolute fucking shambles. Basically, like nothing went right. They two were they two were always like, you know, like I don't want to say a clique. That's not the right thing, but they were always very much closer than I was. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, you know, a lot of jokes at my expense. Not just surrounding that, but other things. And I remember one time something had happened and basically um I had went in the toilet locked myself in the toilet and phoned my mum and I was like get me the fuck home now I want to go home and they heard everything like they heard everything um I was like I want to go home now mum get me away from here mm-hmm. um and that's do you know that way it's horrible because that like that holiday was meant to be like a massive group of firsts for me and everything was just like completely tainted, uh-huh. and that's what the whole. Because I'll never get a first girls' holiday back in my life. That'll never be, like I'll never, you know, get that back. And even just the experience of going on holiday mm-hmm. as an adult, mm-hmm. it's like it's something that we all look forward to, and it's always a positive. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, I mean, I know we go places yeah. and we to go back there, yeah. but. <laughs> It's it's generally always a positive and mm-hmm. it's something that we work so hard for all year round to get a wee week or two week holiday yeah. and for something like that to happen 
I just, I just can't even comprehend. Like, because mm-hmm. you would, I, I feel like if I was in your position, I would maybe have the association. Of, I don't want to be in another country again, um, unless I was with somebody who I felt really safe and protected yeah. by. That was the last. I've not been on a holiday since. Mm-hmm. That was the last holiday that I've been on. So I've not been on one since. When was that? So that was twenty eighteen. Um, so I've not been on one since, and I've kind of got a wee bit of anxiety surrounding like the holiday that I'm going on. No, and, no and wonder. At the end of June, even though it's with, thing is, it's with my whole family. It's with like my family, mm-hmm. and I'd, I've just, but I've still got that wee bit of anxiety surrounding it. Um. I don't know. It's, I think it maybe maybe as well. It's because I'm going to a new place where I've never been before either. So um it's it's just a big thing. I think it's a natural reaction. Mm-hmm. So Beth, what how did that affect your mental health? How has that changed you as a person? Speak us through that. So I um I ended up Really keep I kept it to myself for quite a long time. Um I kept it to myself for quite a long time. So from the August um until the February the next year. Um I hadn't told anyone. I hadn't told a single person actually, not even my mum, because I knew how distraught it would make her. Um I ended up having a really awful like couple of weeks at college like was really kind of struggling like brain was foggy like I just was really not coping well um with placement and um ended up having a conversation with my mum being like I want to quit like I want to quit and my mum like I didn't even plan on this but I can't remember what my mum was saying she was like why do you want to quit like and I I remember saying something and she was like, why do you want to quit? And I remember blurting it. Well, because I've been raped, mum. Mm-hmm. And I've never, like, I just blurted it out. And I was like, why the fuck have I just said that? Why have I said that? And mum went, what? What? I was like, mum, I was raped on holiday. And my mum was like, I, th- I think my mum was just like, protective mode like but at the same time I could because t- a big thing for me was I I didn't want her to feel like she um should blame herself for it because it wasn't her fault but I know that I know that she would feel like it was instantly like I feel like she knows um she's quite not she's quite like that all the time where it's like something bad happened she's like well I should have just said no to you um I think she felt like I should have just said you weren't going and that was it. Mm-hmm. I should have never gave you money for it so you wouldn't have been able to go. Um, and I actually was like, I wish you had. Because <laughs> um, she just really hated them, really did not like them. Mm-hmm. To then be in a place where I was totally alienated, I had nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then made fun of Uh-huh. Like I slept on the balcony for three nights, three nights in that holiday because they had people over. So <laughs> you've told them that you'd been raped mm-hmm. and then they brought more boys back 
not even worrying or concerned to was it boys that they brought back sorry i just assumed no, no, there no but the thing was i still i still believe that they don't think i was being deadly serious mm-hmm. I, I genuinely because the thing was they weren't like cruel people like they were not cruel people um i just i, I think maybe they thought that i was genuinely kidding and just say being like crude or something and saying that um but yeah, I, I just I just don't think they understood the situation whatsoever. So um, I'm not friends with them anymore anyway. So it's not like I, I, I wouldn't bash them for something that they never totally understood. Mm-hmm. But um, maybe even even if I was joking, which I could never, just a wee bit of like sympathy or a wee bit of understanding that, surrounding it. I feel like if my friend told me that, what, I, I wouldn't bring anybody back that I didn't know for a start mm-hmm. because I would then be thinking about my friend. I would be thinking about myself and my other friend like, because you don't know these people and mm-hmm. what if something like that happened to you? Is that something that happens round about here? We're in a foreign country. We're on a girl's holiday. Mm-hmm. We don't need to be like, we don't need to be involving men here um, because looks what's happened to our friend. I think I always come from a perspective of I always try to think about the why and everything. Mm -hmm. And I would try to be as understanding as I possibly could, even though it might be hard to absorb that that's happened. It's like something that you hear or you might be seeing a film or a TV programme or something like that. But these things go on in life Mm -hmm. and actually worse things go on in life and it's hard to wrap our head around. Um. In your mental health, yeah, I would be just yeah. thinking about, I think I'd just be like, are you okay, are you okay, are you okay? Like, what can we do? I would probably get you up the road to see your mum. I'd yeah. be like, well, forget this holiday. Like, Do you know what I mean? I think because they genuinely still were not understanding it, why would they want to turn it? Why would they want to ruin their holiday? That's so sad. Um, I still, the thing was, I still never believed truly that it had happened mm-hmm. I sat there and I was like do you know what because the next day next morning I woke up after what had happened and I felt like I had the worst hangover in the world mm-hmm. um went out to the pool and they were all there all those guys were there oh my in god the pool. so did they acknowledge you they were just looking over at me laughing and I thought fuck this like mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't um so uh, that uh, luckily for me, that was that was them going. They were going that day, right? And that's one thing I think about. Like that was their last night, and that was me. I think how many? I was like, if they if they have done this before, how many other girls mm-hmm. had been in this position, like just on this holiday alone? Mm-hmm. So there could actually be somebody listening to this mm-hmm. podcast. And be like, oh my god, that happened to me. Mm-hmm. I was on that holiday. Mm-hmm. I was there, and it happened to a friend. And yeah. that's and actually this. This podcast goes worldwide. There's people listening to this in the USA. There's people listening to this in South Africa, Korea. Like this goes far and wide. It's um. So they were from Leeds. That's the only Leeds. Like I'm like, it, it, I wish I wish I had. 
just went to the police. But then why would I, do you know what I mean? It's a hard thing for me to do at 17, like to be like, I'm going to go to the police and I'm going to report this that's happened. Like, I just... I when just you're tri- still trying to wrap your head around uh-huh. it. Like, I, I mean, hindsight is an amazing thing, but um, I wish I had after so I'd seen them at the pool the next day and that had happened and it um it's weird seeing them because I was totally sober at that point and it was just a weird weird thing to see them like out of that situation that had happened Mm. like the night before to be completely ignored in that situation as well was a really weird thing um, not that I expected them to ever come over and be like, hi, how are you? Like, we've literally just raped you the night before, but how are you? Like, uh-huh. I never expected... They're never, not the kind of people no, that are caring about who no, you are. No, Um, And this was something, that, another thing that my therapist had told me, um, that, because I had, I was like, I don't understand how I became that, like, inebriated like that quickly I didn't drink that much like I was able to walk back to the hotel completely fine like um and she had said to me that he probably had something under his tongue so I've kissed him and he's just passed it into my mouth so wow yeah which is a horrible thing to think about you think about spiking as like you know we pill on the drink and just to think about that, I was like, it's just, it, it's terrifying, it t- terrified me more, mm-hmm. actually, because even before anything had happened, I was already, like, basically fucked, mm-hmm. so, um, so that had happened, and the holiday ended, and I really didn't, I just could not wait to come home, could not wait, so I was like, uh, never, I, I felt like crying, like as soon as I got home, I seen my mum. Um, I ended up keeping it a secret for a long time. So it happened. So then, obviously, it happened in the February, and I told my mum, and that had happened, and she was very quick with everything. She was like, "Okay, doctor's appointment tomorrow. You're getting tested. We're getting everything sorted." Cause she, I, I didn't know, like what was happening. So. Yeah. Your mind's all over the place. Uh-huh. You need yeah. somebody with their head screwed yeah. on. Um, I had, which is what your yeah. friends should have done. Oh, and if they weren't sure. able to comprehend, or what they should have phoned your mum, their mum, yeah. and said, this has happened, what do we do? So um, I had went to the doctors. They'd done like all the tests. So it was absolutely everything. It was like AIDS, HIV. It was like the whole thing, a swab, a blood test. They then... I then went and did a pregnancy test and it was negative. So that was fine. Like, I had, I had a boyfriend by that stage in the... Fa- actually, what happened was that that had all happened. He had ended up... We'd ended up breaking up. I had then obviously told my mum that everything was happening in the space of a week. So a couple of days after that, was getting awful, awful cramping. Like I felt, I, I normally would never get, you know, period cramps. Nothing. It's usually very quick and painless. And that's it. Mm. I was doubled over in absolute agony, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, "This isn't right." Nobody was in. 
so I just went and sat on the toilet and I just felt this massive like bit of pressure pushed down on me and basically I, I had ended up passing a miscarriage a fetus uh, on the toilet so it's just this uh-huh. massive fucking mass uh-huh. and I thought oh my god like this is this is do you know what I mean? I was just sta- I st- staring at it. Mm-hmm. Like, it was huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, am I, am I like, have I got like internal bleeding? Like, because my first thought was, it's not what I think it is. Like, I thought, oh, maybe I've j- just passed a massive clot or something. I'm like bleeding or something. Like, do you know what I mean? I was like, oh, maybe that's just it. It's fine. And the, it's weird, like, the more I just sat and, like, stared at it, like, I probably was sat in there for about 10 to 15 minutes just looking at this. Because mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was. I was doing nursing at this point, so I was, like, um, I had, like, you know, basic understanding. I'd wanted to go and do midwifery anyway, so I knew, you know, what size I think it should be at six months. And I was like, this is fucking massive. This is, like a six month fetus like mm-hmm. fully like out of me um so it was it was big and it led me to believe that it was from that mm-hmm. from from the rape so that must uh, have had a big mental impact on you babe it's a weird thing like once again i was like completely numb to the situation mm-hmm. this is one thing i regret doing Protective mode though, Beth. Like it's mm. we but, shut ourselves off. Mm. This was one thing I re- I do regret doing. Like I literally took it, wrapped it up in toilet paper, and just put it in the toilet. Mm-hmm. But then I was still I was eighteen, so I was like, I've got not a fucking clue. I had no idea what to do with myself. Mm-hmm. So I was like, flush it down the toilet off it went like I literally was had I just could not conceive what had just happened so that's that's how I dealt with it for a long time so because I thought I can't tell my mum I've literally just had a miscarriage after me telling her about the rape like two days before I was like I can't Mm-hmm. I was like, and I was also sitting there thinking, it can't be a pregnancy. I did a pregnancy test. It was negative. Like, I'm trying to make up excuses in my head to make myself feel better when, in actual fact, I knew exactly what had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up forgetting about it, put on a pad, forgot about it. Like, not forgot about it, but pushed it into the back of my mind because I had loads of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um. So I'd f- I ended up finishing college and everything was fine. Like uh moved up to Aberdeen because I went to do midwifery up in Aberdeen. So it got to I'd, I I find it really difficult to be away from my mum. Like I fit, not in like a pure weird way, but like I just I was by myself. Like I I wasn't in like a like a shared flat, like a lot of my friends had like four in like a dorm, they shared a kitchen and stuff. I wasn't like that. My mum once again was like, No, I'd rather you have your own space in your mm-hmm. own kitchen, but you've still got that that um choice if you want to go downstairs to at like a big massive like social area where you could um like um like thingy with people and stuff. So um it was it was fine but I found it really isolating and alone 
being there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realise how much I needed other people around me. Yeah, until you needed that time. support during that. So, what did you do? Like, once you realised that you needed support and that your mental health wasn't great, and mm-hmm. what, what did you do then? So, my mental health was already quite low up there, like being that isolated. Um, so, basically, what happened was that I was on placement in the hospital, ended up, um, I was in a postnatal ward, and this woman had her, had her baby, and gorgeous, like, lovely wee baby, she was absolutely perfect, but the mum wasn't doing great, she was having quite complications inside, she obviously had, like, like placenta left over inside, and that was fine, like, it's quite, it's not overly complicated to get rid of Common. it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so, we then... Um, um, I was looking after her and basically the lead nurse was like can you just do a speculum on her and see what's going on inside and I thought okay this is great like I'm a first year and they're like wanting me to do all these things I was really like looking forward to it so if you ever had like a smear like you know it's, it can be quite uncomfortable but they were the woman was just doubled over in pain. Like, I felt awful. Like she'd had this gorgeous wee baby and she was just not like having a great time. Mm-hmm. Did a speculum on her and instantly a massive clot came out of her. So at that time it didn't like resonate with me. But once I'd got home that night, like I kept thinking about it over and over again. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought about what had happened to me and how similar it was. And it really but what I was thinking about was this woman had had a baby, a gorgeous baby, and I never got mine. Uh-huh. Like I lost mine. Um, so that was beyond triggering for me. And I, I'd never been like totally like overly triggered before in my life. And so that led to a series of events in Aberdeen when I just couldn't deal with it like I was by myself triggered as anything on the top floor of a building like I was having thoughts that I'd never thought about before I had been like had very low self-esteem and stuff when I was young and I had self-harmed a couple of times when I was really young but not for a long time and uh sorry to interrupt you there but like what what kind of self-harm why do you think you self-harmed so i um i didn't cut myself but i used to burn myself uh-huh. because i could lie and say oh i just burnt myself with the straighteners like i just i caught myself in the curling iron something like that i could lie mm-hmm. and like make up excuses but just if but like if i had cut myself like my mom would have been like i know exactly and and my parents knew that I had done it before because mm-hmm. I remember I went and seeked out support in school for it and I went to my pastoral care teacher thinking I was going to get loads of support and she went, now you either tell your parents or I tell them that this is happening and I thought... Oh, that's not the response that you need. The no. response that you need is support. That's yeah. a threat. Uh-huh. So it was really um, not what I was wanting ended up having to tell like my my dad I had ended up telling my dad first and then telling my mum and like it's just not 
what I wanted at all. So I had done it before. That wasn't, that wasn't, I'm not going to say it wasn't an issue, but when I was up there, I just felt like I was going to do something awful. Mm. Like I had, I had been, not been taught, but I, somebody had shown me how to open my window the full way. Uh-huh. Like, because it was massive big windows that I thought were, were, was on like a latch. So I could only open it maybe like, like three inches or something. But somebody had shown me how to take off the latch and like totally open it up. Because apparently they had like been, they'd been smoking in their room or something. Like you were supposed to go downstairs that they'd been smoking. Um, I'm scared of heights and that's when I knew that I was having a big issue, like mm-hmm. there was something seriously wrong because I was considering dropping out. Right. And I would never, I couldn't even like look out the window before because I was that scared and I knew something was seriously wrong because I was thinking about jumping. Um, all of the, I had like knives and stuff and obviously cooking, like kitchen knives and I had I asked my neighbour, I was like, can you, I was like, this might seem really silly, but can you take them? Because I can't have them mm-hmm. staring at me all night. Um, but what had ended up happening was I, so I did it twice, so I ended up taking a big handful of paracetamol and just downing. Like, I think I had about half a bottle of vodka to myself and just downing pills. But something that they don't tell, seen movies, they expect you to be like, just that you'll pass it like you'll pass it and you'll die like that's how it goes but what happens is that see if you um take tons of pills and drink your body knows it's a toxin and will automatically make you throw up whereas if you take maybe say like i don't know like half a packet or something with alcohol then that's normally where it gets you but I was overdoing it to the point where my body knew it was a toxin it was thrown up. So I was falling asleep and waking up, like, with me being being sick like, mm-hmm. during the night. So my body saving itself. Mm-hmm. So it never really worked. So I tried twice in Aberdeen. Never told anyone. I had to end up pulling, taking time out from my course. And that was the first time that I was put on antidepressants up in Aberdeen. So I was put on fluxetine, went home for, uh, I think I was off for probably about two weeks or something. This was probably the January, January 2020, just before COVID started. Um, Was home for a wee bit. Those pills were not working well with me, were making me feel 10 times worse than I already was. And I think it was maybe like two days before I was supposed to go back to Aberdeen. I thought I can't go back there, mm-hmm. and I ended up just taking the full packet of antidepressants with alcohol again. But this time, because I wasn't myself, I went straight downstairs to my mum and I said it really nonchalantly. I was like, "I've just taken that full packet of pills, and I've just drank all that." Mm-hmm. And my mum was like, "Oh my god!" Like freaking out. Like she went into total, essentially, <laughs> essentially sad, but. My sister had her boyfriend over for the first time because now our, our best pal and we get on really well. But mm-hmm. he was over for the first time at the house, and I decided to do that. And mm-hmm. I was, I think he was absolutely traumatized from, mm-hmm. um, from that. 
Um, so we then, my mum went in the action station, basically, big jug salt water, just chug, she was literally like, like drink it. She was force feeding me, like literally had my mouth like that. She'd phoned an ambulance and everything and I could feel myself starting to get a wee bit drowsy and, you know, really kind of, um, just kind of getting out of it. Um, mum had to go and tell my sister. My sister was in hysterics. Um, like then she then had to phone my stepdad and be like, "I need you to come home now." Like she's just done all this. Like I need you to come and help me. Um, so I think the ambulance never showed up. I do remember that. I remember being totally out of it for maybe like four or five hours. Um, wow. never I never totally went unconscious, but there was moments where I was just completely out of it. Um, and my mum, I think I probably had about five or six massive big jugs of just salt water until, you know, I was sick enough where they thought it was okay. Uh-huh. And what they did was, it was literally one arm here, one arm there, both either side, and they walked me back and forth through the kitchen for five and a half hours, uh-huh. waiting for this ambulance to show up that never showed up. And then I, I eventually kind of came out of it a bit where I felt a bit more normal. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mum was like, okay, hospital in the morning. First thing, like, I woke up feeling as I had. Once again, it was like it was like the the morning after the incident uh-huh. where I woke up and I felt like I had the worst hangover in the world. Just totally dehydrated, like absolutely out of it. Um, and so then went to the hospital. My mum took me, but soon really quickly, and I was put on like a drip. And I was then the crisis team basically came in and was like, "Okay, we need to make up a plan of what is going to happen here." Mm-hmm. Um, so I was then put on like crisis watch for the first week. Um, my. I planned on never telling my dad. I planned on never, ever, ever telling my dad of what had happened in in Tenerife. But obviously my mum had to tell him because it was a big thing to do Mm -hmm. with what had happened. Because my dad was, I feel like my dad would be like, well, why she just decided out of nowhere to kill herself? Mm -hmm. Like, um, so my mum ended up telling them. And I had literally, like, I was so nervous. Once again, I'm, like, thinking about his reaction. like What other people would uh, think? Constantly. Like, I've always been a people pleaser, no matter what. I don't know if it's just because I'm a Virgo, but, like, I've, I've always been, like, one of those. I think that that comes with <laughs> childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a people pleaser as well. I've, I just, the thought of disappointing anyone, mm-hmm. I could not bear it. Mm-hmm. Um so and it's I think that it's because you've had so much disappointment in your life mm-hmm. and you know what it feels like to exactly. be so disappointed and down mm-hmm. that you don't want to inflict that on anybody else because you know the pain of disappointment mm-hmm. so I was like okay ended up telling them and we had I've been in the hospital and been in contact with the nurses and they'd set up a plan and my mum had ended up taking loads of time off work she was like I need to just be there for you she was like I physically can't leave you alone like I cannot do it she as soon as we went home it was like action stations everything was locked away all nice were away cutlery was 
was locked, like everything was kind of just put away. Um, all medication was with my mum now, like I had no um, access access to anything whatsoever that could harm me. Um, but I was still put back on the same medication. But I, I, I knew myself, like they had told me, so it's like four or six weeks that you need to be on it to feel any sort of difference, which I, I, which I think is an absolute, like, I'm like that, what the hell? I just think after after everything, like, if you're in a, like, crisis and you get put on medication, you've still got, it's like having to wait six to four weeks before you feel a difference. But trying to get through the next uh, hours is hard enough. And in my case, it made, and I was told it will make, it might make you feel worse and stuff. And I thought, oh, like, worse than this? How much worse than this? Mm. Um, And obviously it did make me feel worse because I had ended up trying to take my life. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's that was difficult. So when I came, obviously everything was kind of locked away and everything, and I literally just laid on my my bed and I could hear a car outside. I was like, "Oh God, who is that?" And I looked outside and it was my dad and my stepmom. And I thought, oh, "For fuck's sake, this is the last thing that I need in this moment in time." Mm-hmm. Had in my room, did not want them to come near me. Because I was just waiting for a bombardment of like, like bullshit to mm-hmm. come from it. Like I was just waiting for them to be like, "Why would you do this?" Blah, 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 blah. Um, but my dad came into my room and like sat in my bed and um, just put his hand on my back and was just like rubbing my back, and I could hear him. And he was like, "Why did you do it?" I just I remember shrugging my shoulders because at that point I honestly don't think I could tell you my name. Mm-hmm. I was that out of it and just gone. So, but I remember hearing him like crying, mm-hmm. and my dad. I've only seen my dad cry twice in my life. It was when his mum died and when that happened. So, it's 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 a weird thing. Mm-hmm. It's just, that that is the, and it, it made me, it sounds really horrible, but it made me feel like, oh my God, well, at least, at least he cares. Yeah. Like, I'm, at least I know that he would care if I died. Uh-huh. That's a horrible thing to think. No, but I've been there, like, I've been there where you just think that you're a burden to everybody mm. and you have better off no here and that when you have a moment like that, when you realise that somebody would be so shattered if mm-hmm. you had completed suicide. Um, and sometimes, like, that kind of generation, I don't feel like they're very good at expressing no. um, their emotions or anything like that. So I agree. I believe there's a lot of tough love that goes on. Oh, yeah. And um, I think that with your dad... I don't know if you ever heard his story or anything like that. Like, and again, recognize the why he is the way he is because mm-hmm. I believe people are the way they are for a reason. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of them just don't understand how to show emotion because yeah. they were told it was a weak thing. Like, you don't show emotion. Like, but in that moment, your dad's yeah. obviously 
he's maybe reflecting on himself and being hard on himself as well. I think that we've got really got to consider that sometimes we think it's kind of all about us, but the other person potentially they're probably being harder on themselves than you uh-huh. ever could be on them. And I think that we know that as people, right? Like we're harder on ourselves than anybody could ever be. Yeah. So maybe look at it for that perspective if you have if you've never, you know. It's it's because I, I I had tried for a long time to maybe like think about it because I know that everything every sort of thing kind of stems from personal trauma mm-hmm. and I was thinking about okay so what's the trauma with my mum well she lost her dad when she was young that's a big thing for her she was in a like a loveless marriage raising two children like single mother um and I was trying to think of stuff for my dad and do you know that way? Like, that honestly wasn't. I said, I know the, I know that it's probably because I've not had a proper conversation. But see, when I think about it, like I was sitting there thinking, he's the only bit of trauma that I can think of genuinely for my dad was him losing his mum, and then, but that happened when I was nine. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen like you know before I was born or anything like that. I just wonder if genuinely there was. Um, I don't know like coming for somebody that has lost their mum and obviously it's very fresh for me mm-hmm. Um, the conversations I've had with people that have lost their mum or a parent will say that you never quite heal for that yeah. you just learn how to get through your days Um, but it's something that you'll never and I can honestly say like with for the bottom of my heart it's the toughest toughest thing I've ever had to go through mm. and even though you're an adult like it's it's really really difficult and maybe actually like after this maybe it sounds silly but do you really know your dad do you know what I mean I know uh-huh. that that sounds weird, that's a but big maybe, question that I've had to ask myself it's a time he actually sat down and said dad I want to sit down with you and I want to have a chat with you and I want to learn your story because Mm -hmm. I want to understand you and I want you to understand me and see how that goes. And that could be a a form of therapy that could help you with a lot of things like self-esteem, daddy issues, feeling unloved, um, feeling rejected, abandoned. Like maybe that could Mm -hmm. really help you. Um. My dad sounds really odd, but like I just it, big thing for me not wanting to speak to him is his lack of emotion mm-hmm. regarding things. So it's very difficult for me to have a conversation with him when I'm not sure um what the reaction's gonna be. Mm-hmm. I know that that's just something that I'm gonna have to deal with and it's just gonna happen. Um but unfortunately like the 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 way that my dad and my step my stepmom you know kind of dealt with what had happened to me was not what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. But then again, you you said a different generation. Like yeah. I, I I know, but and I think our biggest disappointments come from thinking that someone else should do what we would do in Uh a situation and we need to learn that 
everybody's different mm -hmm. and you don't know like it's like if you went to your dad and you sat him down he might have been wanting to have this conversation with you almost his your whole life mm -hmm. and if you manage to kind of I don't know you might soften him up soften him up a bit and a lot of what we think in our heads mental health we build things up and often things never really turn out as bad as what we think mm -hmm. they're going to we spend a lot of time in our own heads thinking oh he's going to say this and he's going to say that and what if he does this and what if he does that we need to let go of all the what ifs and actually kind of mm -hmm. go go in where and say I'm trying to move forward and if a conversation with my dad is what I need to move forward that's what I'm going to go with right mm -hmm. and whatever that is I'm going to deal with after mm -hmm. the conversation and not before it yeah so moving forward these things like having conversations with a conversation with your dad mm -hmm. which might help and understanding the why in all the situations I think really helped me with my mental health mm -hmm. I think if you look at what somebody else does to you is a reflection of them and not yourself it actually make, helps you move forward when somebody comes at you generally like with emotion we don't make the best decisions we don't say the things that we would say if we weren't emotional mm -hmm. um, and it tends to be when we make the worst decisions so I think understanding, I, I always say to my friends, try and separate the emotions for the facts or the facts from the emotions and try and understand looking back on what's happened to you, mm -hmm. why it's happened to you and no blame. What, what kind of coping mechanisms do you feel like have helped you through this? Do you feel like you're coping? Do you feel like there's anything that's helped you move forward? Have you moved forward? Are you still in that space? Um, I did have a... I had to have a big conversation with my dad just for like my own sanity. And... I mean, it brought up a lot of things that, like, I wasn't happy with, but it, that's what the answer was, and I, I just have to deal with it. Like, that was what the answer was, and it was never going to change. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, because I, because I, I, I need to, I needed to know some certain things about it, about like just everything in general. Um, and a lot of it wasn't what I wanted to hear, but at least I knew that that was the truth and that was what I was having to deal with. I mean, me and my dad, I don't think we'll ever have a, like a, a perfect relationship. Is um, there such thing? No, I know, uh -huh. I know. But I'd, we'll never have, you know, it's not like we'll speak every day. Mm -hmm. I don't, I probably speak to him once a week, maybe. I say maybe once a month now that I'm older. Like, mm -hmm. I... Um, you know, he, I, I, I see it as a, he's got his life and I've got mine. Yeah. I'll never break I, I, I'll never break the bridge with him because I can't, I'm not going to do that. Uh -huh. But You want him in your life, you've made uh -huh. the choice. Yeah. Because I get all the, I get the love and support of a father from my stepdad. 
Uh-huh. And it sounds really horrible to say that, but like my stepdad's very loving, very giving, you know, um, always understanding. But he's not my dad. Mm-hmm. But I get that from him, which is good enough for me. I'm never, I'm never gonna get it from my dad, and I know, and I've, I've, I know that in my heart, and I know that I've, I've taken that. So, I, it's, it's. <sighs> It isn't a nice thing to think about, but at least I know that it's the truth, mm-hmm. and that's how it is. Um, they won't always agree with things mm-hmm. and how I dealt with my own mental health, but at the end of the day, it's my mental health and it's not theirs. Mm-hmm. If they want to deal with their own a certain way, they do it, but um, I needed medication quick, fast, and I needed to be watched, and that is what my mum wanted to happen and that's what happened Mm -hmm. so that's just how it's going to be um and then when I started to see that when I finally got like my therapist she you know I went into it thinking okay it's going to be all about the rape it's going to be absolutely everything um it's going to stem from that and my miscarriage and that's how it's going to be when in actual fact I think I spent majority of it talking about my dad and mm-hmm. how, and she was like how everything has stemmed mm-hmm. she, she literally put it in like a mind map for me yep and was like this is how it's happened mm-hmm. like and it, it's all kind of stemmed from that lack of abandonment and see you said that you were seven mm-hmm. so again i'm a big fan of sir jordan peterson and he talks about how from the age of zero to seven mm-hmm. are crucial that's that that time frame shapes you as a person that's what happens to you in that time frame is likely going to make you the adult that you are and then so whatever happens in there we all have childhood trauma however big or small Mm -hmm. because nobody's the perfect parent nobody does the perfect job and I think there's a stigma out there that there is perfect people Mm -hmm. especially with social media which just doesn't exist perfect does not exist right so it's up to you as an adult moving forward to recognise and that takes going through things in life and sometimes, yeah. unfortunately, Beth, it's going through things that you went through in life mm-hmm. that really make you reflect and really make you the person that you are. Mm-hmm. And honestly, as somebody that's been through trauma in their life, I think, and knowing a lot of people that have been through trauma, I think that it is the most beautiful thing. I mm-hmm. think the most beautiful people yeah. came out of trauma because like we were saying earlier on you you know you know rock bottom uh-huh. you know deep dark sadness and um you know that you wouldn't want anyone else to feel like that so i think that it makes for very kind considerate understanding people and I don't know if you would agree with that. Um, I think when people... But it can. Oh, Let's say it can. Yeah. I think when people say that they don't have trauma, I think I honestly do think they're lying. They are. Because everyone has trauma, as they said, however big or small. It's just the way that you kind of perceive, perceive yeah. it. But I, 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 I wouldn't be... <clears throat> I wouldn't be... The type of person I am without what has happened to me 
Um, I think it's made me a lot more, made me a lot more understanding and sympathetic to people. Um, but it also makes me a lot more wary and kind of vigilant of people that I don't know because at the end of the day, that's a big thing. Like, it's made me, it's quite hard for me to trust. Mm-hmm. Well, it's made you create boundaries, yeah. implement boundaries in your life, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, so really late thing. Are you coming in? <laughs> it's so annoying. I, just, I just think like. It's, it's almost like a jigsaw, I think, sometimes, like, trauma is just part of that, like, puzzle, unfortunately, but it's, I'm, I'm, it's not, I don't want to say I'm happy that it's happened, but do you know what I mean? I couldn't, I couldn't picture my life without it mm-hmm. in a really weird way, like, I couldn't, I always say this to people, I was like, the thought of my parents being together like not being divorced makes me like physically sick mm-hmm. I hate to think of that but um and do you think that because you felt like they weren't a right match for each other mm-hmm. so they didn't make each other happy mm-hmm. there wasn't any like affection or anything from my pet like like so it's not like the cast or the hugged or like stuff like that whereas now my mum and my stepdad are very not like not I'm not talking like Courtney Kardashian or like Travis Barker like affectionate like to that point but you know you'll come in and be like how's your day and give her like a wee kiss and I'm like that's just I like I'm so happy for her uh-huh. it's a weird thing like because I know how much shite she went through to like and now that she's like finally like settled in a relationship where she's like just genuinely like happy with the person that she's with mm-hmm. like oh and loved and understood uh-huh. like yeah. I, I, it's just it's really nice to see and um, like my like I'm happy for my dad like my dad's been married to my stepmom for like oh god since 2013 so it's been like a it's nearly that's nine years this year but um, I'm just like I'm, I'm they just they just weren't right for each other Mm-hmm. And I'm happy for both of them that they found like their person because I think they needed that. I, I think my mum needed that, like that lack. She was just lacking like any sort. She didn't have any attention going towards her. There was no like love or affection. Like I think she just felt like so lonely. And it, it, I get that. I understand that. I've- been in a marriage where I felt really lonely and mm-hmm. really misunderstood and there was no he didn't even try to understand me and it wasn't even as if I could choose what I was going through you know uh-huh. like the the big thing that um was losing my mum and he just as I said in the beginning like he just didn't understand my strength and my resilience mm-hmm. and that that was built into me because of all the trauma that I'd went through and I spent so much time thinking that I was explaining all of my traumas and why I was the way I was and I've always been a really understanding really kind person because of all that and I'm I'm really proud of who I am and I'm really proud of how I've lived my life and I'm really proud of how I'm moving forward but I understand that sheer 
loneliness where mm-hmm. you just feel so alone in this other person. You are you're trying to understand them while you're the one that's hurting. You're trying to heal them while you're the one that needs healing. healing. Yeah, it's a society thing as well. See that thing where it's like, I think it's like ingrained in people's minds that like when something traumatic happens to them that they need to be like at rock bottom like immediately and like that's mm-hmm. just the way that it's going to be. When in actual fact, like I think people were just surprised at how like strong you were when they were thinking, well, she's supposed to be like curled up on her knees. Like mm-hmm. she's supposed to be like mentally low, like or like just wanting. Just, I just don't think that people expected like you to be that strong because it's not what society's mm-hmm. you know ingrained in our minds that that is what will happen. It's not what, what you happened. see on these standards uh-huh. and all yeah, that. Yeah. What we're programmed to think. Mm-hmm. There's a reason these are called programs. They program you into a way of thinking, and I definitely think that. I think it's just you can't un- you can't be mad at people for being incapable and not having the life experience. Mm-hmm. People can say I understand you all they want, but really until they've been through it. Mm-hmm. And that's how like I started crying when you said when your your dad you seen him cry when he lost his mum. Mm-hmm. Because I know how that feels to have lost your mum and it is horrific. And I think that comes from a place of actually knowing and actually uh-huh. understanding. And it's so difficult to like get that across to people that have never been in that position. And how you deal with your mental health is completely different to how the next person mm-hmm. does. And the things that we are chatting about that help us, like our coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. like my coping mechanisms being exercise and throwing myself into business and just yeah. trying to keep that positive mental attitude. But that's not m- most people. That's where I realised that my way, my mindset is actually mm-hmm. very rare and like I don't know therapy you'd said mm-hmm. um before when we were talking about the podcast that that really helped you yeah I, I find it incredibly like this see even talking on this podcast I mean I've been I finished my therapy that was allowed by so you only get like 18 sessions from Sandyford which mm-hmm. is amazing like I was really grateful for even being allowed to have it but I waited a long long time for it mm-hmm. Um, I just found it. I find it very easy to talk about things. Um, I find it like if I vent it off, I normally feel a lot like that's when I get upset. Is normally when everything's done and I've finished talking about it, and it's just that release of like energy where I'm like, mm-hmm. thank God, like it's like a breath of fresh air when I'm totally uh-huh. like declog my mind because that's where I feel like maybe I was um struggling Mm -hmm. I was keeping all those feelings inside and letting it stack up in my head to the point where I was like I can't deal with this like I need to get in my life and like Mm -hmm. or like I need to self-harm and that was like a release um finding the right medication as well for me was a big thing I went through quite a lot like I went through loads of different sleeping pills loads of different antidepressants to find the perfect one Mm -hmm. I say perfect but like where at least I could feel some sort of difference in myself mm-hmm. where it wasn't making me feel it's not one size fits no, all with tablets I know and I I knew for myself I didn't want to be on these for a long time I'd set myself a goal not a goal but I was like you're not going to stay I had to keep telling myself you're not going to stay on these 
for the rest of your life, but if you're not mm-hmm. going to stay on these... Because you don't want to mask the no. problem, you want to deal with the problem uh-huh. so that you can move forward. Uh-huh. It was more just like a needing to settle the symptoms of everything first and then working on myself because I, I just needed that level Mm-hmm. levelness because it was like that well it it's like a chemical imbalance in your brain like depression and so yeah you do you need to label it out mm-hmm. so I was on search so I found my perfect one it was sertraline um because I know quite a, pe- a lot of people are on that but that... I was offered sertraline um I didn't take medication I'd suffered with depression mm-hmm. I think from I was about 18 and um I've just been somebody that really always, I'm self-aware and Uh I really want to deal with everything head on and I was like, I don't want to mask this because you hear of people and they've been on it for years and they come off and they're not right or they they end up worse, end up with all those thoughts Mm -hmm. again and because they've no dealt with taking a tablet, it's began to work and then they've thought I feel better and they've went back to life as normal Um, and they've not really dealt with the problem. But you'd mentioned... um, the Sandyford mm-hmm. and if anybody's went through anything that Beth's went through and really needs help you can visit the Sandyford website and whatever Sandyford is in your area you can mm-hmm. make the phone call there was also rape crisis how did you find them like what was your what did you have a dealing with them so I had been so when I went to my doctor initially um, after the incident that they had advertised rape crisis just as a um, by this point it was before Covid so it was more like a they can phone you and you can just vent off what you want um, mm-hmm. they'll help you find therapy if that's what you were wanting um, but I was more just kind of needing somebody to kind of vent to mm-hmm. about what had happened and, and to make myself feel like I was like less less crazy mm-hmm. I need. I just needed somebody to hear it and, be like, and like validate I'm, that's one thing I'm really bad at I need validation constantly in my relationships with everyone like mm-hmm. I think my boyfriend sucks the back teeth of me being like do you love me do you love like because I, I need that otherwise mm-hmm. I will panic myself it's just pure anxiety that I would get mm-hmm. if I'm not validated so I needed that just I think we all need that validation to be fair so mm-hmm. don't be too hard on yourself about that because your partner should understand you yeah. your partner should want to let you know that they love you mm-hmm. that you're safe and you're secure and they've got your back mm-hmm. and anybody that's with a partner that's not like that then maybe you should take like I think about the relationship yeah. because you you deserve somebody who understands you who tries to understand you even if they don't understand you, they try. That's a big thing. Yeah. I know my husband didn't summer. even try, and that's broke my heart. I because think that's the same as my mum. I think you watched what I went through. Uh-huh. I watched my mum die. You were there. Like, how can you not understand that that would do something to a person mentally? Like, especially. But I've been called yeah. crazy and a psycho because I've grieved for my mum, and that's just not the right no. approach. That is just not the right approach Especially at when all. you're so close to your mum as well. I don't mm-hmm. understand why. Why would you not think that you wouldn't grieve? Like, I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. The fact that he called you crazy for because having a natural... It's like a because natural Because I had delayed... I had delayed grief, so... Like, I didn't start grieving, I would say. And, well, I was definitely grieving, but I was in a numb stage. I didn't feel emotion until maybe mid-March. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... 
so it and then it all came out, you know, it was mm -hmm. like I was blubbering and slubbering all over the place and I was suicidal and he just left me. He left me in here one night and I was like, please don't leave me. And he just walked out, shut the door. My best friend lives next door. He never even chapped her door. Didn't tell anybody. And I, I, I sit and I think, how is my husband, could you possibly walk out of our house? and leave your wife feeling suicidal and see the state that she's in and not, not even check on me, uh -huh. like in yeah. the morning to make sure I'm still alive. What would you have done? I don't believe that he would have even told anybody that I had voiced that to him. Um, and that was a big wake up call for me. Through and that was only- Do you know that yeah. way? Like you say it in your vows, like that through was, and in health and he's just left you like that? No. That was about, I would say that was probably about four or five weeks ago. I was in a suicidal state really badly. Um, maybe, maybe not even as long ago. Maybe it was a wee bit longer, maybe about six weeks ago. It was awful. And you need that, you need somebody in your life that's willing to try and understand and um, I, I've said like to, to my friends and things like, I can't, how can you be mad at somebody for being incapable, mm -hmm. not having the capacity, not having the want in them to be able to help, just pretend that you, like, you don't exist and go on with a life, mm -hmm. it, it's crazy to me, like... And that's not the right word to use, right? Because I, I feel like that word's been thrown about a lot, but it's just, it's inhumane to uh -huh. me. That's the word. I think it's probably a lack of um, understanding or a lack of, um, what's the word? Like, not self-esteem, but like... He's unable to cope. Uh -huh. like he doesn't know what he, he does. Doesn't, he doesn't know how to process his own feelings. Mm -hmm. So he's reflecting that onto you mm -hmm. and... I mean, it's no excuse whatsoever. No, it's, it's no not an excuse, excuse whatsoever. Um, but I just, I find that, I just find that wild how you can not understand. Like, even just a little bit of like, I know you're going through a hard time. Like, I'm here, I'm here for you if you if you just want to talk and I'll mm -hmm. listen. Like, see that? That's nothing. Even you just, just sitting sit on the couch and silencing oh. your presence is just, it's a, it, that that's all you need and obviously we're chatting about coping mechanisms and things and I think that there's a lot of chat about mental health that's very openly spoke about now but I don't think that how we actually help our loved ones friends family is is really mm -hmm. I don't think people really know how to help how to help from my perspective would be to just be there just sit at the end of the couch and we don't even need to say it and we can watch something on the tv listen when I'm when I'm venting, when I'm speaking, give me a hug when I need a hug and I'm crying, get me a tissue mm -hmm. when I need just literally just being there. You can say to the person, listen, I don't even know what to say to you. But just knowing that you've got that support, like your mum said, didn't mm -hmm. want to leave you alone. Yeah. Like my friend, like my friends, I would not be here. I don't believe I would be here if it wasn't for my friends. I reached out to my family. I reached out to my family on his side and they seen the state that I was in and I think, well, where are you? You know, where's your support? Like, I'm going through the worst time of my life and I just don't understand why they're not there. But just being there, even just a wee text, 
um, like, I hope you're okay. I'm thinking of you. Like, that's that's so much support that you don't really realise. I think it's quite not not normal for women to show emotion. Um, and that could be perceived as weakness in some in some ways. Um, but I think as women, we find it a lot more easier to talk about our feelings. Mm-hmm. Whether they were to do with mental health or just in general... Um, I was told the other week that I was just very, very bitter. And I was like, bitter? About, like, my mum my died. My mum died. Like, bitter? Bitter? Really? Like, I'm bitter? Like, I'm seething that my mum died. Like, I'm distraught that my mum died. I'm so angry that my mum died. And that's so like would natural, you be. That's a natural thing, though. Mm-hmm. Like, the stages of... The stages of... Um, I can't remember if it was grief or just in, internalising what's happening to you. I had, um, when I spoke to my therapist, it was it was to start off with, it was, um, oh, what's the word? You just don't even think that it's happened to you. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not real. Like, and that was a big thing for me. Um, d- denial, mm-hmm. another one. I had denied that anything had ever happened to me for a long time it's the stages of grief uh-huh. and I had tried to to um be like well it never happened it never happened to make myself feel a bit better and then it's like anger mm-hmm. I, I, I remember at one point I got I was just sitting there and I thought how fucking dare you do that to me like I, if I seen I could honestly kill him mm-hmm. I could kill him and I'm not an aggressive person but I just think you ruined such a, a pivotal time in my life. Like that was my first real taste of like freedom and being an adult. And you took that away from me in my first mm-hmm. ever night. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even there 12 hours and you did that to me. Mm-hmm. So I got a lot of anger at myself as well. But And it's okay. It's, but it's okay normal. to grieve. You're grieving that girl that you were mm-hmm. before this happened. Yeah. And that's okay. Um. We, we talked about rape crisis and there's they are only open from five till midnight and you can call them and I'm going to give you the number. The number is 080880010302 and there's also the Samaritans which are open 24-7. Mm-hmm. Now, we spoke before this podcast about I had to phone um, the suicide helpline mm-hmm. and I, I phoned three other places and they weren't opened at the time that I was phoning. And mm-hmm. I think that's appalling yeah. because there's no time that you choose to be feel suicidal. Feel suicidal. Yeah. So the Samaritans are open 24-7 and their number is 116-123. As I said, you can call them 24-7 and um, have a chat to them. And what I would say is that is somebody that's been in that, mindset I've been depressed I've had a nervous breakdown I've had suicidal thoughts I've been very close to suicide Mm -hmm. it was only weeks ago that I got up and I was literally going to hang myself Mm -hmm. and I can't believe I'm even saying that like but as somebody that's I'm not quite through it Mm -hmm. as somebody that's coming through that and really struggling with their mental health right now I think um if you've not got anybody to speak to, honestly, like, you can mail me at any time. I've got a call button on my phone. Like, whether I know you or I don't, like, I wouldn't let anybody 
sit in that state right. I really wouldn't and there's obviously the Samaritans if it is a sexual assault you're dealing with rape crisis are there um and then there's Sandiford which you were able to speak to yeah. and then ended up <clears throat> having therapy through. therapy through so these are all positives lean on I'm somebody that's really no good at asking for help I've always done everything on my own say I was a child and I'm very independent my mum used to say I was fiercely independent yeah. <laughs> um so it only it took until the next day after that after my husband walked out um leaving me in that suicidal state to reach out to my friends and my family and say I'm really knowing a good way can you please come and see me mm -hmm. and honestly the people that come and see you and the people that stick around stick with them because and the people that don't well they're not worth your yeah. breath because it's really sad actually because they don't know when they're going to be in that position no. or if they're going to be in that position let's say so and even just sending a wee text. It takes like, a second, do you know that way? If your mm -hmm. friend's a bit more quiet than normal or mm -hmm. you know that at least they're going through something, a text can mean a thousand things, uh -huh. honestly. Like, it's... I so text my knowing. friends telling them, like, they text me telling me they love me. Every, we mm -hmm. tell each other we love each other every night, my sister as well. And then, like, I send them texts of appreciation back because I'm like, thank you so much. You never know you saved my life like and so yeah you really find out who your friends and family who, who people are and who's there for you during a, a time like this and it's a shame it takes times like this too mm -hmm. but that's what life's about right it's about Definitely. seven out the people that are in the for you they're either a blessing or a lesson mm -hmm. take that lesson and run with it and yeah. I'm just going to wrap this up, Beth, and say thank you <laughs> so much for being on the podcast, sharing your story. I'm sure it will help a lot of people. You've been so open, honest, vulnerable and raw. And I thank you so much no, for that. Thank you. And, um, yeah, the numbers, I'll put them down below um, in the description bar. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a wee review if you're on Apple Podcasts. Share this podcast far and wide, screenshot it, put it on your Instagram. This could really, really happen. Mental health is a big thing and it's not going anywhere anytime soon, guys. So thank you so much for watching and we will be back next week with another episode.